0: it's kind of difficult for us to to put a stamp on that definition there's so many different audiences that would like to sort of see potentially social procurement needs to have a lot more focus on the numbers and measuring those outcomes are which is completely understandable yeah but for us we like to have that development of that broad church approach and inclusivity that sort of allows enterprises to work toward better outcomes and a continuous improvement trajectory rather than just a point in time
1: thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 214 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Elise Paraps. Elise Paraps has worked in the public, private, and the not for profit sectors in senior management roles for education, arts, communications, and marketing, and in community development. She was the co-founder of a for-community benefit and co-working space in Redland City called the Red Place, which serves some 20 local startup and social business initiatives and was the home for dozens of community-building organisations over the six years it operated in Cleveland CBD. Elise is primarily an artist and writer with a degree in fine arts, who has conducted multiple public art projects, exhibited and provided commissioned works for private collections, and has written multiple short stories and contributed to published plays. Elise has worked in both state and local government in community development and policy areas, running statewide and regional projects of some magnitude, during which she completed her Project Management Diploma. After a brief time in the private sector in marketing and brand management, Elise found synergy in the for-purpose space, setting up a social enterprise and performing as the Communications and Business Development Manager and 2IC and Acting CEO at the state peak membership body, Parents and Citizens Queensland. She completed a Masters of Business in 2018 and a social enterprise and quadruple bottom-line focus. Elise is now the inaugural Executive Officer for the Queensland Social Enterprise Council. So on today's podcast we'll discuss Elise's insights into the social enterprise sector in Queensland and more broadly across Australia and we'll hear from Elise how Queensland's social enterprises have been responding to the COVID-19 outbreak. So Elise, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Tom. It's wonderful to be here.
1: It is. So, Elise, I'm really keen to kick off and hear a little bit about your background and what led to your passion in social enterprise.
0: Sure. Well, it's, it's been a pretty long and winding road. An artist, a teacher, cultural development, public servant and uh, business and management leader. So I guess I started out as an artist and a writer and I sometimes refer to myself as an arts refugee and I've left the arts but I have continued to be a passionate arts and cultural advocate throughout my entire career. My personal mantra is life is art Hmm. and artists have often been at the forefront of change in the world and they not only lead our aesthetic by what we listen to and what we watch but also how we see trends and fashion. They also break tradition and they challenge our rhetoric and they hold the mirror up to let ourselves see the greater scheme of things. And I guess as a painter and largely an introspective soul, I've learned to observe some patterns in society and I really became fascinated by the positive impact that culture has on communities. Mm. And sadly, I know we've got a bit of a deficit in cultural priority in Australia and God, those artists are really suffering through this COVID time. Yeah. It's it's really I really became really fascinated in policy and systems change. And for that reason, sort of looking at more inclusive ways to engage that diverse voices and and build community resilience. So some years ago now, I threw myself into that purposeful systems change. I shifted into more government sorts of positions, leading arts and then community development projects, and then really into more purpose-led organisations because I really saw there was a big need for community development grassroots change Mm. and systems change for good. So in 2012, I think it was, my life partner, Paul Bishop, and I co-founded a space called The Red Place, a community benefit organisation in my hometown of Redlands City, and it was really initiated to bring small businesses and creative souls together in a co-working space. And we really wanted to work with communities of practice to learn from each other and to build a real sense of community resilience. And I love volunteers. You know, i volunteered for so many PNCs and bushcare communities and sporting clubs and community groups. And I, I just have a real passion for the full-purpose space yeah. and also for serving, for want of a better word. I love to serve. So I worked for some years at PNC's Parents and Citizens Movement, supporting state schooling enterprises. And these are people who work tirelessly to ensure that every child across the state has every chance of learning Mm. in public schools. And it's a member organisation of some 1,200 or so organisations, and they're all based in state schools. And these are all groups of parents who run social enterprises, surprisingly. They run tuck shops and after-school care and uniform shops. Yeah some of them are actually turning over millions of dollars Mm. and that's all to benefit our kids in state schools i am completely absolutely passionate about the good work that they do on the ground so during that time i i did my masters of business and i knew that what i really wanted to do to use what i'd learned to help build a a more positive change in the world i guess
1: Mm. Well, that's been a wonderful experience in leading up to your existing role as well, which is Executive Officer at QSEC, or the Queensland Social Enterprise Council, Elise. So tell us a little bit more about your current role, this member-based network, and the purpose of QSEC.
0: Yeah, sure. I'm just so happy to be working at the Queensland Social Enterprise Council, It was an organisation that started some years ago and originally as an organisation or a group of people called the New Mutualists. And it had some of our stalwart amazing starters in the space, uh, Steve Williams, Rob Pekin, Ingrid Burke, David Langdon, Amelia Salmon, Richard Warner, all these people that we hold so dear to our hearts in the sector still today. And they really fostered its growth and the community for that for-purpose enterprises. Mm. It was sort of born out of a time when there was a lot of intermediaries in the space, bankers and ex-corporates, and they were really pushing social enterprise financially capable. But it did sort of bring about a bit of a an understanding that there was a missing core purpose, which was actually the voice of the social enterprises themselves. They, they really wanted to build, this group of social enterprises actually really wanted to build a voice and a sector that could advocate for that grassroots kind of push. So as the national awareness grew, sort of reformed as an incorporated association in, in about 2012 as the Queensland Social Enterprise Council and it became the first peak body in Australia for social enterprises which is pretty fantastic mm. and it's since then it's been run under some amazing volunteer power and it was kind of uh, in the last few years the social enterprises have kind of gained new momentum the Queensland Government, and pretty notably too, I think the Brisbane City Council has backed QSEC with some funding and some great initiatives. And since then, social enterprise has really grown from strength to strength. And it was only in, I think it was 2018, Tom, QSEC was funded to assist with the Social Enterprise World Forum bid. And that really started a bit of a momentum close to home here. And last year QSEC was funded to have some staffing, which was brilliant, brought me on board. To help bring that strategic direction for the sector to to forward. Now we're a member-owned member voice organization but we also include associate members and intermediaries to help bring a real balance to the voice for the advocacy role that we perform. QSEC is pretty small it's it's only about 150 social enterprises and associates but we're also as a peak body we're a bit of a quiet achiever as a not-for-profit ourselves, we're not actually a social enterprise, yet we, we really play a valuable role in breaking down barriers to success for our social enterprises. And we love to build partnerships with funders and we love to change policy for better, link our resources and provide that critical data and information to members so that the whole social enterprise ecosystem can grow and, and build. So really we're about advocacy, number one, for policy change in new markets. QSEC really loves to promote the awareness of social enterprise. So we're really trying to get that voice of what is a social enterprise and also provide some access to networks and resources for support. We do a lot. <laughs>
1: you, you do do a lot. And it's been great to see QSAC grow over these previous years and certainly fantastic that it was one of the pioneer peak bodies within Australia, a movement that we have seen grow a lot in the last 12 months and discussed with, with a variety of people across the sector who are really observing that change. So what are your, your observations, Elise, in terms of the social enterprise sector in Queensland?
0: Yeah, well, we social enterprise is such a, a hairy behemoth of the thing. We like to sort of suggest that social enterprise itself is about the definition. It's social. It's got to have social, cultural, environmental and economic outcome to the business, to the core. That's really first. The purpose-led organisation or or enterprise is really what we're about. That quadruple bottom line, which is my favourite thing, it has to trade rather than just be a charity or uh, accepting donations. So we really want to see that. It's a trading organisation, and we also talk. And it's fairly contentious about impact investment. The quantity of profit or investment into that into growing that purpose is really important to us. And for us, because we're such a broad church, we like to see that people are making attempts in that space. Rather than putting a figure or a number on it, we like to just say that that is an imperative thing of social enterprises. That it's important to to nominate your social, cultural, environmental, and economic practices. Yeah got to trade and you've got to talk about what your investment is going toward Mm. in that purpose space. So there's, it's kind of difficult for us to, to put a stamp on that definition. There's so many different audiences that would like to sort of see potentially social procurement needs to have a lot more focus on the numbers and measuring those outcomes are, which is completely understandable. Yeah. But for us, we like to have that development of that broad church approach of inclusivity that sort of allows enterprises to work toward better outcomes and a continuous improvement trajectory rather than just a point in time. Yeah. So what what we hear most (laughs) is that people say, I had no idea that I'm actually a social enterprise. I didn't even know I was part of this community. And there's such relevance and sense of support and belonging when you connect into that broader network. So much more can be done when we work together. So we love to be able to embrace all comers and find a place within that ecosystem so that they feel at home. It was interesting. We embarked upon a a survey at the end of last year with the Unis Centre. To really help us understand who was who in the zoo and and what point of time they're at, we divided up the survey participants into about sixty percent of them were in that startup space. Surprisingly, and startups for social enterprises go for quite a number of years. So it can be five, sometimes seven years in startup space while people are finding their feet and trying to find relevance in this in their business. Mm and get their outcomes. So sometimes it's a bit of a side hustle for a lot of startups to begin with while they sort of find their feet. And then we've got the stand-ups who are usually, they've been running for about five years or so, and they've got some supply chains, they've got some employees, perhaps they might have a real sense of purpose for for their business. And they fall into the uh, probably about 12 to 13% of the people surveyed were in that space. And then we've got our stay ups, and about 15 to 20% of of social enterprises uh, have been operating for more than 10 years. They have really got their colours up, they know exactly who they are, they're looking to scale, they're looking for great opportunities, they're ready for procurement, they're ready for contracts and they're in a really good space. And once we identified what the sector actually looked like for us, we could then see that there was a pipeline development that was really required, and that QSEC's role could be a lot more about providing resources at the point that social enterprises find themselves in. So I think some of the work we've done in the the past has really highlighted our lack of connection into regions. And we know that there's a lot of social enterprises operating in local communities, but we really have found this, gap of connectivity and identification of those social enterprises in regions so that's where we're really going to be putting our focus in yep. the next little while is really trying to identify and get our social enterprises to stand up yeah connected and then plug them into the resources that they need along that pipeline
1: absolutely and we're talking in may of 2020 elise pretty much smack bang in the in the middle of this COVID-19 outbreak. So I'm curious to hear then what changes you're seeing in social enterprises and their response to this pandemic and also where you see strong opportunities for the sector in Australia. Like what what is needed for us to build on the current momentum?
0: Yeah, and, and what an extraordinary time, Tom. I mm. mean, who would have thought at the beginning of 2020, 2020 we were – Sitting there thinking, wow, the world is our oyster. 2020 looks like, you know, a fabulous vision forward. Full steam ahead as social enterprises were finally getting our stride up. And then here comes COVID. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's been a lot of discussion in the sector. And and what we're seeing is three kinds of businesses that are falling out or, or three sort of states of COVID, if you like. We've got many social enterprises who've just gone into hibernation and they're in big trouble Yep. They see that there's a lot of challenges. They don't know how the next lot of support from government will impact or if it will reach them, if there is a next level of, of support. So a lot of businesses have just stopped operating for now Yeah, to wait and see what's around the corner, to see how quickly we can recover or to make plans to get people back and. A lot of people in that space, generally speaking, in the products and services, mostly products, market, they're B2Cs, they've got retail shops, they've got businesses that are restaurants and those sorts of things, and they're really suffering. And then we've got some businesses who've been able to see some of the opportunities that have arisen out of this and are pivoting. And they're using, they're looking at their skills, they're looking at the new markets emerging and they're changing their business models, not necessarily their purpose. We're finding some of them are actually going, okay, well, I have to park my purpose for a minute and just survive. Mm. But many of them are, are still very much connected to their purpose and finding new ways to pivot their businesses along to the new emerging kinds of markets and then we've got some businesses who've been absolutely swamped with demand they've found that there's a whole bunch of demand for their product particularly in the food the the food space in agriculture as foods become a little bit difficult Supply chains have been a little bit more difficult to, to source but also in surprising ways like the businesses who might be repurposing computers or things like that for for, for kids at schools. So they're having to scale up their employees. They're having to find new ways of training, really adapt and and scale their business systems. So I think the biggest advantage for social enterprises is the focus that we've had around purpose and also their strength in their communities because a lot of social enterprises are deeply, deeply embedded with their local communities and the communities in this time need more than ever their purpose-led organisations to help them through. Mm. So some of them are finding new relevance in some ways with their local communities. So that's one of our great advantages, I think. And, and as we move towards whatever recovery looks like, I think a lot of social enterprises are also very much led by people and their they're people-centric organisations that really look after their staff and the people, their supply chains. Yep. And that's extremely valuable at this time when everybody's under a lot of mental and economic duress. Having people who care and are kind in this space have never been more important. So I think that's probably the biggest areas of advantage that social enterprises have over normal business as
1: usual. Yeah, absolutely. And so when we look at the sector more broadly across Australia, what do you believe then is needed to build on this current momentum that we're seeing? And how might government then best support impact-led businesses and and that momentum, the joining of state bodies, for example?
0: Oh, there's some amazing things happening in the the National Alliance, and it's got to be said, thank you, Tom. (laughs) <laughs> for your very strong advocacy in this space for such a long time. I know that it's been a long journey and a vision of yours to to have a national voice for social enterprise. And thanks to your strong leadership in this space.
1: It's been, it's a, it's really been a team fun. sport.
0: Yeah, it's a team sport, right? <laughs> But we are delighting in our national relationships and at the moment we're forging ahead with a submission to really help articulate what this sector needs and we think that strategy is the most important thing. So if we could get a national strategy around direction forward for social enterprises as a whole would be great. Mm. We also need to raise up our profile. We need to really allow ourselves to understand the impact that social enterprises have deliver and not to be afraid to demonstrate that so we're building a bit of a a momentum around a campaign that will help social enterprises not only understand what their business as usual is but to also demonstrate how they go beyond business as usual and reveal their impact in a way that potentially hasn't been harvested before and I think it's going to find new a, a new voice and a new relevance in our times now because it's more than ever people really need to see their communities coming together and working together to get better societies. So yeah. I think that's really where the opportunities at that national level sit. Yeah. We're also looking at areas of funding and seeing where, what kinds of initiatives might be able to be born out of these opportunities that are arising in, in markets. And there's a lot of activity and talk about the way social enterprises could be mainstreamed in some way. Using social enterprise as your business as usual (laughs) helps you to go beyond business as usual, even if you're a big organisation, a local government, a state body. So really looking at procurement and and seeing where some funding opportunities may be able to come down the track.
1: track. Yeah, absolutely. I love to hear you talk about business as usual because I think in the ideal world, right, we wouldn't need the term social enterprise. We'd just simply call it business. That's Certainly. And
0: why wouldn't you? <laughs>
1: why
0: wouldn't you go beyond business as usual if yeah. everybody wants
1: it? Yeah, completely. So what about some inspiring projects? Are there any particular initiatives or organisations? I mean, you come across a lot in your role at QSEC, but which ones do you believe are really creating some great positive social change?
0: Well, I loved the story that came out of sub, uh, Substation 33 down in Logan around their call for computers for children at home that was so heartbreaking to hear. One in, in one short week, schools move from everybody turning up to everybody being online. Yeah, and knowing knowing the education sector so well, I understood immediately the pressures on low socioeconomic families. Yeah, you know the access to computers, the access to technology. Having a computer was not necessarily going to solve all of those issues but it sure goes a long way when yeah. you've actually got a device that you can plug in even if you're able to use a town centre wi-fi or your neighbour's wi-fi if you beg yeah. having access to that technology was really fantastic and it was great to hear that there was such great local support for, for substation 33 in that way mm. they rebuilt these unused unloved computers and were able to to give computers to those most socioeconomic kids, so that was really inspirational. Hope Street Cafe providing meals for front uh, frontline workers, re-establishing some supply chains through through that mechanism, being able to provide work for their for their people it was really fantastic. Also very heartbreaking to hear Nunda the Nunda Co-ops Cafe going down the same trajectory and having some of their volunteers come forward and just say, "I, I need to have somewhere to belong.
1: Mm. Please
0: just let me help, <laughs> help me work." So they amped up some of their other avenues in their business um, streams as well to try and help give people a place to belong. The same sort of thing happened at the world's biggest garage sale. People just wanting to have something to do. So there's been a a, a huge number of social enterprises pivoting, pirouetting, as Leanne Kemp would say, (laughs) changing the way that they run business, connecting and reaching out to their local communities. And it, there's been many pearls amongst the disaster that has been COVID. There's been some beautiful things happening. The arts and cultural sector has is, is really, it is a passion, it's a private passion of mine, but they have thrown themselves and all their skills to the fore, becoming suddenly teachers, online teachers of their art and craft, mm. providing inspiration and advocating for community building events and connecting online it has just been extraordinarily overwhelming yeah. position talent that's shown through there has just been amazing yeah so hats off to my arts friends
1: there's a bunch of great initiatives there Elise and I'll stick links through to those in your article and we've interviewed a bunch of those founders in the past so users will be able to click on through so to finish off then what books would you recommend to our listeners
0: I'm also not only an arts advocate I'm also an advocate for permaculture and permaculture is a fabulous way of being it's not just about people often associate permaculture with gardens but it's actually a lifestyle and if you adopt these principles of people care for people care for planet and fair share of of, for for everything for all so equity it's such a beautiful policy or, or framework to live your life by so I would say that anyone in this COVID time should really have a good hard look at Bill Mollison's Mm -hmm. and David Holmgren's Permaculture Designer's Manual. It's a great place to start. It's a huge book. (laughs) It's quite a tome. But the the 12 Principles of Permaculture are actually perfect at this time. And David Holmgren's just released his next book, Mm -hmm. which I'm starting to thumb my way through again, a beautiful tome of work, Downshifter's Guide to Resilient Future, Retro Suburbia and it's got some really inspirational ideas to people move to a new a new way of being a new economy and the next economy really that needs to happen is for all of us to have a good hard look at how we can reduce our impacts our negative impacts on the planet so those are those are two books i absolutely adore but I have just finished one from a local uh, entrepreneur called Stark Naked Numbers by Jason Andrew. And he was a co-worker at the Capitol when we back in the day, when we used to be able to sit <laughs> beside each other. And Jason Andrews come up with this really fantastic book around uncovering financials and unlocking cash and unleashing your profits, but in such a really user-friendly way. And Mm. And whilst it's more a business and financial book, I think there's some really brilliant, simple, applicable tools and ways of explaining numbers. I'm not a numbers girl. But man, the book really spoke to me and really helped me get perspective on how we can unlock our financial capacity in this time. And it could be something that social enterprises could really benefit from.
1: Fantastic. Well, there's a few great books there mentioned, Elise. So... Lisa, there's a bunch of really great insights and experience that you've shared today. So I really, really appreciate you sharing all of that. And we'll most certainly keep track of the work of the Queensland Social Enterprise Council and personal endeavours heading down the line. So thanks again.
0: Thanks so much, Tom.
1: And good luck to everyone out there. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org.